Welcome to Thoughts on the Social World, socialworldpodcast.com, sponsored by David Niven Associates. Your host is Dave Niven. Well, welcome to Podcast 17. I'm Dave Niven, and this is the Social World Podcast. Today, I'm going to have a look at a couple of things. Firstly, I'm going to play a BBC uh, radio interview that I gave concerning the recent celebrity uh, abusers uh, cases and in this particular case some of the issues from when they were found not guilty and how that actually impacts on the victims, how that impacts on the alleged victims and how that uh, impacts on the people that were accused. But we're also going to have a look at some of the other issues to do with abusing generally and the uh, the whole fact of the moment, if you like, where uh, it's almost got to the point of abuser fatigue within the media. There are so many cases out there. And as well as that, I'm going to have another look at um, social networking sites and uh, the impact on both professionals and young people. But first, thanks to Betty and thanks to Robert for their comments about uh, last week's show. Um, www.socialworldpodcast.com and listen, if you want to leave your comments speak pipe, it's right beside every blog, it's right beside every podcast, just one click leave your comments, tell me what you think tell me what you like, it would be brilliant to hear from you so, firstly I got today the BBC interview that I did, just a few days ago About this time yesterday, I broke the news to you that William Rache had been found not guilty of two charges of rape and four charges of indecent assault on uh, five uh, women. Um, that case went through the court process. A unanimous verdict of eight women and four men found uh, uh, William Roach, who plays Ken Barlow in Coronation Street, not guilty. The third member of the Coronation Street cast uh, to be found not guilty of sexual abuse charges, Michael Lavelle and Andrew Lancel being the other two members. Obviously, there are trials ongoing at the moment. And all this has come off the back of um, Savile, Jimmy Savile, and what he did. Although that can never actually be proven because Savile died before the accusations came out. And it, leg it begged the question, as I was thinking this afternoon, if you're, well, yesterday afternoon, if you're a victim, you look at this and you think, well, hang on a minute, what chance do I have of getting my story told? And that's where I thought I'd invite my uh, good friend of the programme, David Niven, in, who's a child protection expert, to talk this through. That, it worries me that there are victims out there, David, who might think, well, I won't bother actually coming forward. Because justice is a justice has to be done and seen to be done, and uh, William Roach is not guilty, Andrew Lancel not guilty, Michael Lavelle not guilty, unanimous verdicts. The victims are anonymous, the accused is not. Here's the first question Should both victim and accused be both anonymous until such time there is a verdict? Uh, I think provided that um, everybody gets they get a fair trial, the people get a fair hearing, um, I necessarily wouldn't have an objection to that. I just I, I think uh, ultimately though, I just think as long as the victims have the opportunity to put their case forward uh, in a court of law, mm. and as long as the accused gets a proper fair hearing as well, 
then ultimately I've got no problem about anonymity because I, at the end of the day, an awful lot of the publicity is, is, just, is just whipped up during the course of a trial and sometimes an awful lot of things get obscured. And, and that's the problem, isn't it? Is that th th there has been a skew because these have been celebrity trials and, of mm. course, there has been a, 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 a media frenzy on this. There was another court case this week came to a conclusion, wasn't there? Another major court case of systemic abuse at a school where the deputy prime, in, prime minister, Nick Clegg, used to go, Caldecott School. Yeah. And, and, and we're talking about headmasters, charismatic headmasters and teachers. And that's historic abuse as well, and yeah. that shows that the system can work if you've been sitting for many years, decades, in, in their cases, mm. uh, as victims and not been able to come forward. If anything, that illustrates the fact that you should come forward because you ultimately can have justice done and you can have some kind of restitution, you can have some kind of closure. Because that was a headmaster and three other teachers, one of whom committed suicide before the verdict was passed. Yeah. Yeah. He's 82, and I think I'm right in saying, David, I'm doing this from memory, that there was an investigation in the early 2000s that didn't come to anything but mm. those victims pursued it got it to court and resulted in the he's the, the headmaster is at the age of 82 eight years in prison indeed and the other member of staff that you mentioned who was actually committed he actually admitted uh, mm. affair before sentencing just the other day he committed suicide uh, it appears he committed mm. he was found dead on a railway line let's mm. put it that way yeah um so all I would say is, yes, but also remember your Gary Glitters, your Ian Watkins, your mm. Jonathan Kings of this world, as well as the Jimmy Savills, yes. and the victims of people, in, of celebrity, if you like, people who have abused their power, can look to justice in many, many occasions. And as you said, there's other cases going forward at the moment. We don't know what the outcome no. of that will be. But ultimately, I really would encourage people to come forward. I really would encourage people because now, for several reasons. Okay. Firstly... The professionalism of the agencies is much higher than it used to be. The sensitivities, the understanding about sexual mm. abuse is much higher than it used to be. Therefore, the treatment of people who come forward alleging abuse and saying that they have been the victims of abuse will be far more uh, thorough, far more sophisticated than it perhaps used to be. Mm. Secondly, we still live in a democratic uh, society where the, the justice system, although it, to be fair, is inquisitorial... Mm. Uh, is, sorry, is, uh, is adversarial mm. rather than the European model, which is inquisitorial. Mm. It's a little bit tricky. I still have got a problem with that, especially when very young children are involved. Well, this is the other big issue, and we haven't got a great deal of time, mm. is, that, is that if you are a child or you are an adult and you have been abused as a child, mm. you're going to have to face the fact that you're going to be questioned in court, and that mm. question, questioning may be mm. un uncomfortable, and that may stop you from doing it because you might not want to have to go through the process to arrive at the point point of justice. Yeah. Should that change? Should that yeah, change? I, I actually think so for children. I do yes, think so. There's right, been okay. some changes for children in terms of how you give evidence, <coughs> how you're seen, how you're cross-examined and yep. so forth. And judges are far more sensitive about the, the formality of the courtroom and so on. But, as I said earlier there, the adversarial system of British justice has always been fairly fixed. In other words, it's all about who wins. Mm. That's what we are all about, who wins. So if you've got a very good barrister who's actually a terrific talker, etc., mm. etc., then you... you on Europe, for example, they've mm. got the inquisitorial system of justice, which is totally about getting at the truth.
And in other words, you have judges in Europe, in France, for example, the Juge des Enfants, who actually, if necessary, could even go and live with a family for a, a week or two mm. to just get a sense of what's going on, who's talking about what, what's to, and talk to the witnesses in far more depth. So you've actually got more of a, a system of inclusion rather than okay. confrontation. Very so, briefly, David, and I think mm. that's a very interesting point, and we need to explore this again perhaps in, in the coming mm. weeks. But from the point of view of, uh, of the not guilty verdict for William Roach, it was emphatic, it was, a, it was a, 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 an absolute not guilty verdict. And the other not guilty verdicts surrounding some of these cases that have been brought, the, the, the process that may put people off, the, the outcome of those cases that may put people off, who have genuinely abroad, are you concerned of, of the profile of these cases? Um, yes, I suppose I am. And I, 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 if somebody's found not guilty with the class, most abuse is, is found, it's familial, isn't it? It's not, yes. you know, it's not celebrity, it's familial. No. If people are found not guilty with the clarity that yesterday's case was mm. uh, was declared, you know, I, I think there obviously has to be an absolutely clear cut uh, media um, um, recognition of yeah. this as well. And the person has to be not only just cleared judicially, but cleared socially, if you mm. like, as well. That is that's that's the justice system. That's what okay. we have. However, on the other hand, and um, I was talking to the top uh, survivors lawyer mm. in the UK the other day. Um, there's so many more, hundreds if not thousands of cases that still have not come forward. Yeah. And we've got such a backlog and such an opportunity and such a, a requirement, if you like, in this country to encourage these alleged victims mm. to come forward and Indeed. state their case. To expose it, to, to get to know about it, to understand let's, it, to, let's to, to stop it. Let's exorcise yeah. this. Yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. let's get this out of the system. David Niven from David Niven Associates, based here in the West. Many thanks for coming in this morning. Okay, let's talk a little bit about social networking. Firstly, I'd like to just talk about a few questions that uh, have occurred to us and then I'll explain how we went about getting information and opinion from people about it. The first question that we were looking at was, or I was looking at, was what's the, the key research here? What are people's views on social networking and child safety? Um, as well as whether professionals need to be concerned about exposing their own personal information on, on social networking sites. So let's, let's just have a look at the issues first. Firstly, does more need to be done in order to protect children in addition to parental measures? Okay. Now, on, uh, at the end of March, a couple of years ago, in the UK, there were something like 35,700 children who were the subject of a child protection plan. In other words, 35,700 children were considered to be at risk, usually from an adult, sometimes from peers, but mainly from an adult's. And during the, that year, which was uh, 2.10 to 2.11, 44,000 children became the subject of child protection plans and 38,000 ceased to be. So in other words, there was a, a huge moving feast in terms of actually those considered to be at risk. Some stayed on uh, to be at risk all that time. Others came and went off the register, depending on the work that professionals were doing with them and their families. But that means that tens of thousands of parents each year are considered to be a risk to their children. And the ability to protect these children on social networking sites is emerging as a, as a further area of risk, as a significant area of risk now. So the questions are this. 
of these. Do, do social networking sites really need to do more to stand up to their responsibilities? Should we worry about Facebook and its threats to reduce the age of account holders from 13, which it currently is, and to allow any age of child to have, to own and to operate a Facebook account? And there was a report in the Washington Post in 2012 to that effect that actually challenged Facebook on it. And although denials came forward and although the, the, that has never happened, I think a lot of people suspect that Facebook would like to reduce the age that children can have an account with them. Another question. In monitoring social networking sites for improper or criminal activity concerning the protection of children, now that's become a significant debate amongst the statutory community. Should law enforcement alone or should social services teams and duties teams, for example, have, have the facility as well to investigate families that they're concerned about? And maybe do radical solutions need to be developed in a situation that's developing at great speed and without seeming to address enough of the issues of safety to reassure people so? David Niven Associates uh, commissioned a survey, an online survey, and that company, which is my company, who specializes, well, amongst other things, in child protection training, we constructed uh, a survey using a typical Likert response scale. In other words, a scale of one to five, depending on the seriousness of things. And it measured the respondents' attitudes towards the use of social networking sites, in a social work safeguarding setting. And we asked them to the extent at which they agreed or whether they disagreed with the particular questions or statements. We distributed it to a wide network of contacts in order to, well, we wanted to attract individuals with an interest or an investment in that area. And we put it right through the associate network, right through the new newsletters, our newsletter mailing list, which went out to at least a thousand people at the time. And we did it through LinkedIn groups as well. Now, the first question we asked was, online safety should be entirely down to parents. Agree or disagree? Now, 65% of the respondents disagreed or strongly disagreed with that statement. And about 16% agreed in some form or another. And the remainder were kind of, on the fence, neither agreeing nor disagree. So the main body was strongly disagree with the fact that it should be entirely down to parents. Now, we asked for a little bit of feedback as well from some of these, and some of the quotations we got back from the people who completed the survey, anonymously, but these were they, said, quote, it's the responsibility of providers, schools, and any other agencies that support children as well as their parents, or... Parents and caretakers carry the bulk of the responsibility, just like teaching good habits and manners, etc. But teachers, administrators, uh, foster families, adoptive families, everyone who has access to that child should be trained about online safety. Second question we asked was, should many more resources be created by social networking sites to protect the vulnerable? And the most common response to that was strongly agree. In fact, 90% of the respondents agreed in some form or another with that statement compared to 6% that either disagreed or strongly disagreed. And that's, that's a lot of public pressure being put on the social networking sites to actually do more 
even more than they have done to actually protect children. And then another question we put was, there should be no age limit to having a social networking account. Discuss. But 83% of respondents disagreed in some form or another with that statement, and compared to just about 8% who agreed or strongly agreed. So demonstrating a majority view, and that it was pretty obvious, that social networking sites should have age limits. And that's a fair indication. Comments back included... Children, young children, don't have the knowledge or the ability to detect untoward things that might come onto, through to them on social networking sites. So they shouldn't have accounts until they're of an age to ensure their own safety. Or, young children are unable to understand the safety issues involved in posting information publicly. And they're also too immature to understand what might be appropriate in the public, public forum. And... The relatively obvious and relatively and common response we got, and this is just one form of it, is we know that paedophiles use these networking sites to establish contact with children who are too immature to know or understand what's happening. But Facebook, who actually came to a conference that I was involved in actually organising, the head of Facebook in the UK actually came to that conference and said, quote, there must be about 80 million false Facebook accounts that exist in the world. And he was personally aware of the fact that probably there are thousands of accounts that parents, parents have falsified the age of their child in order to get them an account. Now, in my view, that is just extremely irresponsible. It's a bit like saying to your child, well, go and play, play ball on the motorway or... Uh, have a cigarette here, age six, or whatever. Anything else that's considered to be totally inappropriate for somebody of a very young age until they're old enough to make sophisticated judgment. And this, having a particular Facebook account, given the dangers that can occur, and falsifying it on behalf of your child, just to me seems the height of irresponsibility. And one final thing that we did talk about was asking, should only law enforcement be allowed to investigate social networking accounts for evidence? Now, 32% disagreed, 39% disagreed or strongly disagreed, and 40% agreed. So it was a pretty balanced response to that, because I think it is a, quite a knife-edge debate. People quite rightly are concerned about individual freedom. People are quite rightly concerned that not more than that exist already, if that's not too many anyway, of the statutory agencies have got the rights to, to, to look into their private lives. On the other hand, I am aware of a situation, for example, there was a very um, public and a very terrible case in, in the UK a few years ago, with baby Peter, who um, uh, died at the hands of his mother and her partner. And um, she had always made up stories or not allowed agencies into her house, not allowed people to see them, pulled the wool over the eyes of um, medics and others who, who, who looked on the social workers as well. And always said, oh, no, 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 there's no other man in my house. There's nobody here living with me, etc., etc." Yet on Facebook, according to the, a, a newspaper in this country called The Guardian, on Facebook, uh, just the day before that the boy died, she was talking about this man in her life. She was talking about um, 
how he was wicked and you know, in a in a way that was exciting, and how she you know drinking drugs and rock and roll the whole thing, and effectively she was declaring on a public view, but it wasn't password protected or anything like that. But she was actually telling people what she'd been lying to people about for ages, and if only people had been monitoring that site, then maybe well. You just don't know, but it's a perfectly good example, I think, of where uh, monitoring um, of social networking sites uh, of families that you can that you think are risk to children actually might well be beneficial. So ultimately, what I would say here is that we have a situation that there are many questions to answer. The pace of development within social networking is frightening. The, the numbers are frightening. The national borders mean nothing anymore. And statutory authorities, in my view, have to totally rethink, totally reconsider both the way they respond, the way they monitor, the way they investigate, and possibly even some of the rules that they have to put down with regards to what they do consider to be challengeable, what they do consider to be a risk to children. Ultimately, of course, too, we've had hate sites um, for social workers, for teachers, for police officers, whoever, set up, and their own unprotected information from their own Facebook sites and pictures and everything have actually been put up on these sites, just captured, if you like because the professionals did not protect them, did not password protect them and make them private. And so people who've got a grudge, people who are particularly um, concerned about their something that happened to them or their children and have got an awful lot of bitterness in them and an awful lot of... and, and, and totally disagree with legal action that's been taken, actually then post up really horrible things about the statutory officers that were involved in their case. And that's just another angle uh, and another twist, if you like, to the ongoing development of social media and the dangers that it poses. So let me know. Talk to me um, about how you feel about this, how you feel about the developing issues, dangers, problems and benefits of the social networking and where it becomes an issue for the vulnerable. I'd really like you to let me know that as well. So there we are, another day, another podcast, um, www.socialworldpodcast.com. Leave your feedback for us, please. And as well as that, please remember, if you're in the southwest of England, Bristol, on the 4th of April, there's a terrific conference called This Is My Childhood, There Will Be No Other, looking at threats to very young children from uh, living in families where there's domestic violence, where there's substance abuse or acute mental health problems and the impact it has on the very young and how to work with these very young children who've been subjected to these traumatic um, environments. So with that, and a call out for that, and a thank you to you for listening. We'll see you next time.